And we also thank God continually because we, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in, in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated for you from a short, for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus? When he is the presence, when he comes, is it not you? Indeed you are our glory and joy. Thank you. What wonderful reading. So clear. Wonderfully clear. Uh, thank you ever so much. You know, where, where we are at the moment in Thessalonica, or in this book, this epistle, this letter to the church in Thessalonica, is that we've learned a lot about the relationship between Paul and the Thessalonians. And we've learned a lot about the way that God works amongst people. And today, we're particularly focused on what it means to uh, be thankful, to receive things that sometimes we are automatically and very easily thankful for, and sometimes we are, let's say, not quite so easily thankful for. Because when we look at what happens here with the Thessalonians, we see that they suffered a great deal just like Paul did, and just like Jesus did. And that is part of the Christian life. And we've even heard this already this morning, with our, uh, that, uh, our sister in hospital. And so we're going to be talking today about two things, about what happens when our world gets disturbed, how we feel, but also how we feel about the world, uh, about other people's world when that gets disturbed for them. Now, but the beginning is very important of this passage, which we'll talk about briefly first before we get into that. Because he says in verse 13, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work among you. So it wasn't just at work when he was there, it's still at work because it's in the present tense. So my question is, what's the difference between receiving and accepting. They received and accepted. And that made all the difference. So what's the difference between receiving and accepting? What would you say, Stefan? When I receive something, it's not for Christmas, at the Christmas present, I receive them and I might not accept them. <laughs> <laughs> depending, on, depending on the socks, on the design, they weren't from Liesl, were they? Uh, uh, okay. So if you're online and you know who that was, can you please let us know? We gave them sorry. Uh, yes, Barry. You can receive advice, but you don't have to accept it. Okay. You can receive it. You don't have to implement it. Okay. Other thoughts? The difference? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What happens when you give and people don't accept it? Akin? Just following up. Stephen. I've received, received presents in the past which 
as they've been given to me to Christmas estate in the next box. Sometimes. For me, quite a second. I've received uh, presents from my family as well, where you know I've just been so grateful, like the way to go and spend time doing the with them on the present that occasion. Mm -hmm. It's a big difference. Very, you, know, you remember it as well. <coughs> you do, you do. You remember accepting, yes. I think accepting was a lot about owning it. Owning it? So if you have accepted something, it's not just that, taking the example of advice, it's not just that you've agreed that it's correct. You said, I'm going to apply it to my life and own it as my conviction now. Right? So whether, whoever said it to me doesn't really matter. Wherever that came from is now mine. Yeah. Anything else? The difference between just receiving and accepting. You get to understand what is it, what it, what's in it for you, what its impact is on you, or what, what difference it's going to make to you once you accept it. Yeah. Delivery companies have redefined receiving and accepting passes now. Before COVID, they actually had to hand it to you. Right now, most of the time, it's on your doorstep and it's therefore assumed you have accepted it, which may or may not be the case. You still got to open the door, pick out the parcel and open the package and right. Very big difference. And I just, we won't spend a lot of time on this today because the main point is elsewhere. But I think if we're going to understand what God has in mind for us, we have to not only receive what God has provided or receive what God has taught us. And in a context like this, where we're talking about God's word, the goal here is not just to listen or agree or, or just receive what you're hearing. The goal is to accept. And that's where the power of God has become manifest in their lives. God is at work in them because they <laughs> accepted. So accepting is, is opening the door for God to do his work. So we'll talk more about that perhaps another time, but I think that's so important. Now, two things we're going to look at here today. The first part and the second part of this passage. And the first part is their suffering. So what happens when we suffer? This is what the Thessalonians have been going through. Uh, they became imitators of God's churches in Judea, uh, who suffered a lot. They were the first ones to suffer. The, the Christians in the Jewish, uh, uh, where Jerusalem and that area, that, that's where Christians first got persecuted. You're, you're going through the same things that they did. They, they suffered. So you suffered from your own people. The same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Killed Jesus, like the prophets, everything that... That, you know, it's, it's not good what's been going on. You're now going through the same things. So here's, here's the first thing we're going to talk about is how do we handle the suffering that comes into our lives? How, do, how can we handle it? So the first question we have to answer, though, is why do we suffer? Why in our lives does suffering occur? Let's just have a little discussion here first. So why, fundamentally, you could say philosophically on some level, as well as practically, why is it that human beings suffer? Why is suffering part of our human condition? Why do you think it actually exists in the world? Because of sin. Because of sin, okay. Which means... Then, then we're not in the world. If we are in the world, then nothing happens. I think that's the main difference is suffering is something that is happening. Then 
there's death, there's war, there's sickness, so suffering is something that is worldly at the best thing, not heavenly. It's worldly, not heavenly, so suffering, we're in this world, sin is in this world, okay? Why else? Why is suffering present? Yeah? Okay, helps us to grow. Aren't so many of the best lessons in life we have learned, learned through pain and struggle, right? Sometimes we make stupid decisions. Ah, sometimes we make our own stupid decisions. She's thinking about me there, of course, rather than herself, because my wife's never made one stupid decision. But uh, sometimes we bring suffering upon ourselves. Okay, yes. Why else is suffering is exist? So that we don't have to ask God for help. So we become connected with God in a different way, where we ask for his help and find him to be helpful. How would we know that otherwise? It's a really good point. I had some other hands up. Uh, yeah. Maybe lots of this physical suffering, and thinking about emotional suffering and pain in relationships and that sort of thing. Um, you cannot have love without the pain. The two, you know, if you if you don't love deeply, you won't feel a deep loss if, if someone if someone leaves or okay. passes away. Yeah. That's the inevitable product of deep love. Can you have real love without any suffering? Hmm, it's a good question, isn't it? It's often said a few well, often said when we're grieving, we've lost somebody, that I mean a modicum of comfort is the fact that we feel such pain over having lost somebody because we loved them. And we wouldn't feel that pain if we hadn't loved them or if they hadn't loved us. I mean, that's a truth. Okay, other thoughts? Or some other hands up? No, I missed uh, Stefan. I mean, a bit more theological point, but it, it helps us to relate to the suffering of Christ on the cross. It helps us relate to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. It does, doesn't it? On some level, it does. Hmm. There are reasons for suffering in this world. I think there are three main ones that occur to me, which we've mentioned. I think firstly, um, the, uh, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not perfect, is not yet and cannot be in its present state that way. And it's one of the ways that we're drawn to God and become aware of our need for him. We live in this world. Justice and what is right in this world is not always valued. Um, if Jesus suffered, so will his followers. Uh, if justice matters to you, by the way, I'd say this, you know, if justice really matters and it bothers you, there's no justice in this world and why, you know, it's not right. And some people use this as a reason not to become a Christian. Like if there was a God, everything would be just. And, and I think actually the opposite. I think if, if, if you want to deal with injustice, the best thing to do is to become a Christian because then you're, you're working with God who is just and who wants all things to be just and will make all things just in the end. He will right every wrong eventually. So why not be on his side, working for what is righteous, with his strength rather than just in your own? I, I think that makes sense to me. And I think some of us that are younger, like some teenagers, you know, we, we struggle a lot at school sometimes. You know, kids struggle at school. They struggle with, their, um, with the bullying and the injustice and when people aren't fair. And, and it's, it's really difficult. And it happens to us even as we get older at work and in families. But... The, 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 the response to that is not to blame God, but to work with God to find the strength to deal with the injustice and then also to make a difference in this world. The second reason why there's suffering in this world is that some people prefer darkness. Some people prefer the darkness, live there, and uh, would rather drag others into it, right? John 3.19. This is the verdict. 
Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. If everybody truly loved justice, they'd become a Christian and follow Jesus. But not everybody follows because not everybody wants to be in the light. There's some sense of pleasure and enjoyment in the darkness that causes so much suffering. And as Bill mentioned and others, it's all part of how we grow and become closer to God. In James chapter 1, consider it pure joy. What a challenging few words. <laughs> consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. You may still lack the money to uh, be able to afford your electricity bill. You may still lack the ability to turn the thermostat up to where you'd quite like it to be. You may lack enough <clears throat> the money you'd like to have for holidays and various other things. You may lack the energy that you'd like to have. And as you get older or illness you know, creeps in and the energy isn't there that used to be there, which is happening to me more and more. Bill knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, we may not have that, but it says here that if we have persevered and matured, then we don't lack anything. Nothing of any true substance. Nothing that really, really matters. There's a lot of suffering mentioned in the book of 1 Thessalonians. You might, on another day, like to dig into it yourself and look at what, what, how Paul processes that with them. What is he saying about suffering? Have a look at that for your own personal study. So, we suffer. How do we handle it? Well, we've got to reflect on it, haven't we? We've got to pray. We've got to find the way that God is working through the suffering to mature us and to help us draw close to him. I want to pause for a moment before we go on to our second and final point. I want to do a, I want to do a risky thing. <laughs> I'll explain it and then tell you why I think it's risky. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and think about the area in your life right now which is the area of greatest suffering, the greatest trial, the greatest difficulty. And the reason it's risky is because it can take us into a bit of a dark place to reflect on that. And we need to come back out of that and listen to some more. But nonetheless, I think it's a helpful little exercise to, and not to stay there, so we're going to close our eyes, think about that. And then what I'd like us to do is, is by faith, is to surrender that to God. Say, God, I give you this. I accept it and I give it. I, I, I want to be in this with you. Surrendering it in that sense to God. Trusting maybe a quiet prayer, trusting that with God you can cope with whatever this is and that God will bring good out of it. Somehow, maybe you can't see that yet, but that's trust. Trusting that he can bring good out of it. So we're going to close our eyes, have a moment of reflection, think about that area of suffering, surrender it and, tr and ask God to help you to trust him. Can we do that together? All right, if you don't want to, you don't have to, of course. All right, let's close our eyes for a minute. Now guide us through this. Father, by faith we offer you these things. We don't see how often you will work it out or what it's for. But Lord, we 
We offer you uh, the best we can to trust you and to look to you for your strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. You might want to share that with somebody later on. Maybe an area that's difficult, you could share with a friend here and share with each other and pray for each other. Because we need God's strength. These people in Thessalonica, they were undergoing tremendous strain. Ostracized from society, uh, riots had been happening. Tough time. But they persevered. So, let's go on for a moment and talk about the second side of this, which is how to handle suffering of the people we love. It's one thing to suffer. It's a different thing when people you care about suffer. And how do we respond to that? And what we find here with Paul is he tells us how he was feeling. He says, it's like I was orphaned. It's a very strong word there, orphaned. I was orphaned, being separated from you. In person, not in thought. And then he said he had intense longing. He really wanted to help them. Intense longing. We made every effort to see you. Every effort. He tried everything he could to go back to Thessalonica. He was in Athens. He couldn't go. Satan blocked his way. He tried and tried. And in fact, he says we, we tried many times. Again and again. We wanted to come to you. Paul, I did. Again and again, Satan blocked away. So he's tried one way. He's tried another. He's tried the motorway. He's tried the A roads. He's tried the B roads. He's tried a helicopter. He's tried a bus, a train. I mean, he's tried everything. He can't get there. You get this feeling of how much he wanted to be there and encourage them and comfort them and share in the suffering with them. He was willing to suffer with them, right? This is how he handled that. So... What do we need to be thinking about is a question when we want to try and help someone who's suffering. What sort of things should we be thinking about? What should we be considering as we think, gosh, there's a friend of mine, someone in my family, someone in the church here who's going through a really tough time. They are suffering. What sort of things should we be thinking about if we're going to be able to help them? What do you think? What should we consider? Simone? What would be Consider what they would find encouraging or helpful. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. What else should we be thinking about, Stephen? I think it's helpful to go and read Job <laughs> read Job and be not be like his friends. Yes. I started with that. Sometimes when people suffer, I can be judgmental. Like, I want to do something stupid. He deserves this because he did something stupid, but he knows that to him or whatever. Sometimes people say be judgmental rather than be encouraging. Okay. I mean, it is true that sometimes, like Penny said, our suffering is caused by our own stupid decisions. That may be true, but going to someone with that judgment attitude in mind may not be helpful, and it may not even be true, because our, our perspective is limited. So going to help someone or hoping to help them without a judgmental attitude, big, big thing. I mean, Jesus does that for us, right? Okay, 
What else do we, should we be thinking about, Chris? Um, so, mm -hmm. best things to come alongside that person, but not to run away from but to listen. To Let listen. Them talk and listen to what they're saying, and then you can give them advice or you can pray with them or whatever and say, Look, I'm here, I'll give you support. Alongside. Yes. All right. Not necessarily like right in their face. No, no. Right. Just to let them know that you love them, despite where they might have come. We'll, okay. Being present to give them your love and give them an ear rather than decide what they need. Great point. Eh? I think, like, like not forgetting to run over them in the form of prayer. You can't feed them physically or you can't tangibly help them. Can't tangibly. But prayer, well, that's such an important point because prayer is as important and powerful as anything we can physically do. So not to discount the significance of praying for them. Great. Um, any others? Because Stefan's always waving his hand. Uh, <laughs> Becky? Um, a couple of things. I think firstly, perhaps to establish do they want help? Do they want some help? Um, and... Then also sometimes, you know, different scenarios. Sometimes people don't know what they need because they're because they're so lost in their suffering. And when I speaking personally, when I've you know been trying to help people who've been in that situation, um, using their love language. Right. So you know whether it's communication, whether it's quality time, whether it's you know, whatever that is, so that they feel that, you know, love and that you're yeah. there. Um, and, yeah. The, their, their love language, not necessarily yours, yeah. may be different. Yes. Yeah. Good. And often, often, like you said about prayer and practical. I feel like practical is often, you know, whether it's a meal or a, something. Sometimes the thing you can do for them isn't actually the main thing they need, yeah. but it's still something that they're really grateful you did because it's an expression of your love. Yeah. So don't rule that out either. But on the other hand, we've got to try and figure out what does, that actually, what does that person really need rather than what I want to give them. There's a balance in there. You only learn by experimentation, right? You don't learn anything by folding your arms and waiting and thinking, oh dear, what a, what a sad thing it is they're suffering and I don't really know what to do and I don't want to tread on their toes and I don't want to be, offend them, so I better sit here and wait. That that's, in itself is not an answer, right? So we've got to risk some things, risk the idea we might offend them. I mean, hopefully in Christian love, we can patch that up, right, and forgive one another. But there is a sensitivity we're trying to engage with, as well as be bold and courageous in helping people. Anybody else? Pat? I think it's just a comment that um, I think this is a lot about how, how to help, how mm -hmm. you can give help to people who are suffering. Right. But when I saw that, I was thinking about the aspect of how do you cope emotionally yeah. yourself mm -hmm. when you see people you love who are suffering? Right. Mm. So that whatever help you can give them, you give, but you still feel emotionally yes. uh, because they are suffering. Okay, you've got to deal with your own reaction. That's right. Or it can distort the way that we actually help somebody, may not see things clearly. So we've got to understand this affects us too. When it comes to God, I think, and so I can see often, my life is a consequence of inside, 
where I find it harder in my faith around suffering than other people. I think through my sister, for example, when she's gone through, I wrestle more with my faith about that and her suffering. Yeah. I see the impact it has on her faith. And so I suppose my relationship with God it is harder seeing other people and tempting how God is loving them through that. Yeah. I think there's a really good point, and similar to what somebody else said here, that we've got to be real with ourselves about how this affects us. Real with God, real with ourselves. Very good. the rejection that if we offer help, that it may be rejected. Might be, yeah. I guess in the same way, Peter Christ was rejected by different people. He was there to help them, but they weren't. They weren't. So... Praying to be strong enough to handle the potential rejection. Really good point, Lisa. Um, I also think we need to be prepared. You know, we know life is full of suffering. And if we focus on being prepared, you know, in our friendships, in our relationships. So when suffering comes, we don't start building that relationship. Or, you know, the relationship's already established so that we can be there for one another. Um, so I think it's, it's part of who we are and how we approach life to see the suffering ingrained in it. Build the relationships in the calm weather so that they're strong enough for the stormy weather. Right? Akin. Yeah, I think um, lesson, lesson the person you know, that you are there to help, you know, that you will understand and make yourself available so that you know that. I remember, yeah, I had experiences where, you know, if people let you know, oh, I'm praying for you. And then you don't hear from them, you know. And and I think just letting people know that, yeah, and if they want to help, they will, they will reach out. Just reach out to them on a regular basis, just ask them how you're doing and you're okay. And telling them on a regular basis, and thank you, I think, makes a difference. It does. Just being in touch, keeping in touch, not letting too much time go by. I, I mentioned a couple of points, and then we'll wrap up. I think, to me, this is a... One of those passages that may help us to understand better how to help each other when we see suffering in, amongst our number. This could be a good way of informing our community here, uh, how to help one another, because it doesn't deal with everything. But it, I like, I'm inspired by the way that Paul feels such compassion and empathy for the Thessalonians and, and tries to do everything he can to make a difference. He runs out of, 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 uh, of ideas uh, in terms of himself going, and whether that's God blocking him because or Satan blocking him, but God allowing Satan to block him because God had a better plan of some other kind for somebody else, or whether that's because um, maybe Paul wouldn't have been very helpful in his presence at that time. Maybe he wouldn't have been that helpful, for all we, we know. But he doesn't give up, and in the end, we're going to look at this next week, but he sends Timothy, and Timothy eventually does go, and he finds them in good spirits in Thessalonica, and he brings back a good report, and so we see that the uh, things are worked out by God. So there's an empathy uh, because we love. Uh, we want to go and help people not out of guilt or duty, but because, or, or to rescue them to make ourselves feel better. But we go to do our best to help people when they're suffering because of the love of Christ. We make significant efforts, like Paul trying several times to go and eventually being resourceful enough to send Timothy. He, uh, and we check to see if they want help. Um, we do know they wanted to see Paul, by the way, in chapter 3, verse 6. That's the report that comes back. And finally, as part of this, we just trust God when others suffer. Not that that's it's easy to say, 
But that is where we need to pray to get to, that we trust that God has these people's best interests at heart. God is more powerful than Satan. He will right all the wrongs. Let me finish by sharing an experience I had this week. Uh, I will show you that. So this is a friend of mine called Steve Allen. Simon, you'll probably remember Stevie and Patricia and Akin, of course, and, and uh, Leon and one or two others. Uh, that, that's uh, Stevie on the left there is about now. Uh, he's my age and uh, he's a professor of music at Ryder University in the United States. Uh, the picture on the other side is a few years earlier when Stevie, Stevie and I and a choir from the London church we were in were performing in the Boston Garden in, in Boston at a big conference. And we were over there rehearsing and, and performing and having a lot of fun. Um, I've known Stevie for uh, nearly 40 years. In fact, I first met him before I was a Christian. Uh, he was a student at Birmingham, not at the university where I was, but at the conservatoire nearby. And uh, Penny and I went to the same church um, at the time as Stevie and uh, Julia D'Souza, some of us will know. So I've known Stevie a very long time. Uh, he's a, he, he and I are close on lots of levels. Uh, Stevie is one of those people, you know when you have a friend who is just about opposite to you in everything? <laughs> uh, Stevie and I are so different in just about everything, but we, it kind of works. And but we have this one bond, which is music. Uh, Stevie is a professor of music, and I studied music, and we did a lot of music together, and singing and recording, and all kinds of things over the years. And we have a very funny kind of relationship where we're very naturally open with each other. Do you know the kind of person you just can't hide secrets from? You don't even try to hide because you just don't need to. Stevie's like that. He's a very open kind of person. Now, we haven't seen each other for many years. And the last time I saw Stephen at his father's funeral, which was in South uh, Surrey somewhere, a few years ago. Um, and we're kind of best friends who never talk, uh, if you have any like that, right? And uh, Steve... Uh, messaged me this week on uh, Facebook Messenger. That's how he communicates. And he messaged me and he said something like, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said something like, why are you withdrawing from me? And now you've got to understand something. In my relationship with Stevie, that's very accusatory, isn't it? And judgmental, going back to your point, uh, uh, Stefan, is judgmental and accusatory and quite attacking, Stevie. But... Um, <laughs> But you also have to understand something about our relationship, which is that I thought, oh, okay, something's going on here. I didn't take offense. I was a little hurt, but I didn't take offense because of the relationship we have, to your point, Liesl, about building the relationship with death. We have a deep relationship. So I messaged him back straight away. I said, well, what do you, what do you, I said, ouch, <laughs> two exclamation marks. Um, what do you, you know, I don't, I don't think I have been pulling back. Maybe there's some truth in this. I know I haven't been in touch much recently. We started communicating on Messenger. And uh, Stevie basically said, look, um, I'm paraphrasing, but you, you, you've not been in touch. Um, you know, we've got to be in touch and love's more important than anything else. And, and he, then he, mess, he rang me on um, Friday. Yeah, I think it was Friday or Thursday. Anyway, he rang me uh, and we had a long talk. If Stevie's the kind of chap you have a long talk with. You know those friends? Never have a short chat. So we talked for, I don't know, an hour, more than an hour. We got properly caught up, and it was wonderful. But it did also reveal in me, reminded me, or revealed in me, or came to me, that I had been neglecting him. And I realized over the last few weeks and months, he had initiated with me several times. 
and I've sent back a thumbs up emoji or something like that. But I hadn't engaged. I thought I have been neglecting him. And I, you know, we've all got a circle of friends. We can't be with friends as deep with everybody as we might like all the time. We understand that. But he's one of my oldest friends. And I have been neglecting him. And I'll share one other reason. Praying about it, God revealed to me. And one of the reasons why. Stevie represents, and it's not anything to do with Steve personally, but Stevie, as someone I've known for that long and involved with music and knew for many years, Stevie represents one of those people that I valued for a long period of time that I've lost. And so there was some internal pain in me that was preventing me connecting with Steve. I was allowing it to get in the way. Stevie reminds me of some other men in my life that I won't name here, but three or four other men that I grew, grew up in the faith with, let's say, from when I was in my 20s, and who I was very close to. And we shared some special, wonderful bonding and challenging times. And over the years, not through my fault, I don't think, it's just circumstances and things that happened, I've lost them. And I miss them. And I can't get them back. I can't get those back. And I'd lumped Stevie in with them in a way because he was part of that cohort, part of my peers, part of that sort of <coughs> friendship group. He's the only one left, actually, of that group, pretty much. And I allowed a barrier to grow, which, of course, hurt him. And, of course, was actually hurting me more than I realized because he's got a special place in my life. I just want to encourage us to not allow barriers to get in the way of relationships that are valuable, important. Even here, we can be here every Sunday, but kind of not be here in a friendship level, in a friendship sense. We can attend without that investment. It's really important we do this because we go through tough times. I, I didn't know when I called Stevie or he called me that, He's got a, a number of health challenges right now that I didn't know about. How sad that I don't know. Now I can pray for him. We need to love people when they go through their tough times. We need to be in touch. And we do it not because it's a duty, but at least in part because that's how Jesus treats us. He's always with us when we go through our suffering. He's always with us when we don't acknowledge him. He goes out of his way. He takes initiative to help the suffering. Zacchaeus was up the tree and Jesus didn't just let him listen. He said, I'm coming to your house today. Now that's a bold intrusion into someone's life. And Zacchaeus' life changed. That's how Jesus treats people. Before we take bread and wine, let's reflect on this passage. And this is our inspiration. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.
He suffered for you and me on the cross. He didn't grow weary and lose heart. He suffered for us as an inspiration for us to suffer for and with others and to not lose heart when we suffer because we know that the cross wasn't the end. The tomb was emptied by God's power. Our suffering will be ended when justice comes and God puts all things right. Someone's going to come up and pray for us right now before we take bread and wine. I forget who I asked. It was me. And then we'll take bread and wine together as the Lord's Supper.